You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey folks, it's Mike White coming to you with a special episode of The Projection Booth. On this episode, I am talking to author Patty Farmer. She is the author of such books as Playboy Laughs and Starring the Plaza, which are both now available. You can go on over to Amazon or maybe special order them at your special local bookstore. And I highly recommend both of those books. Miss Farmer has been doing a great job of kind of capturing some behind the scenes stuff of show business that I was pretty unfamiliar with. And you might be too. Let's go ahead and roll that interview and be sure to check out her and her stuff over at patty-farmer.com. I'm very curious about your background and how you decided to become a writer. I think everything happens for a reason. Right about the mid-century, 2005, 2006, everything was going great. And I had more business than I could handle. You know, I come from a business background. Uh, My partners and I, we were doing deals left and right and uh, just fat and happy And then 2007 and 2008 hit, and the brakes all of a sudden were put on. Nobody was doing anything. The world was falling apart. The economy was going to heck. And I am not used to being bored and not used to having something to do. So the plaza has always fascinated me, and I found out there used to be a nightclub there uh, called the Persian Room. And I thought it was, you know, just fascinating. It had opened in 1934. It had been there till 1975. And I really didn't know anything about it. And a lot of the other people there didn't know anything about it. So I went to the management and asked if I could just look through the archives. Again, just kind of something to do, a project. And uh, the management said, you know, we have no archives. And, and that just... Blew me away. I I said, you're kidding me. The Plaza Hotel in New York City just celebrated its 100th anniversary. All these amazing movies were made here. You had uh, nightclubs that were mentioned in Sabrina and many other movies, and you have no archives here. You know, for goodness sakes, the Beatles stayed here when they came to America for the first time to do the Ed Sullivan show. And they said, well, they said everybody that had owned it took a piece when they left. Conrad Hilton owned it, and uh, he and Zsa Zsa Gabor, you know, traded away whatever memorabilia they wanted. Um, Donald Trump and his wife, Ivana, owned it at one point, and they took everything else. So I started to piece together the history. You know, that's kind of easy to do. You put a research team together, and you, you know, get all the the dates and uh, historical points, but I thought it would be uh, much more accurate to go to the people that were in this particular nightclub and find out uh, what it was really like from their perspective. And and so I did, and, and I think I was just naive enough to think that I could reach out to people like Jack Jones and Diane Carroll and Leslie Gore and have them say, oh, 
absolutely come over for tea and let's talk. But I did, you know, I reached out, I, I contacted agents and uh, the people that I couldn't find agents for, you know, I sent them letters, you know, handwritten old fashioned letters. And uh, the first call I got was from Leslie Gore. And she said, you know, you sent me a letter. And when are you going to be in New York? I'd love to go to lunch. So that's my long answer to your short question of how it kind of evolved into it, to being a writer, you know, and after I had all this information, historic information, oral histories, I was looking for a place to put it. And I thought the New York library might like the notes. Um, and then someone suggested, why don't you put it in a book form for the next a wave of people that might be interested in, you know, Hollywood and show business and important things that happened at the hotel. And I got lucky. I found an agent that believed in the book and he found a publisher. And it just, that was the first one. And uh, now we have this wonderful book starring the plaza about all the fabulous movies that were made there. How long did it take you to put The Persian Room Presents together? Uh, that took me a good two years, two years, and a lot of talking to um, talking to a lot of people and a lot of research. So uh, it seems for some reason uh, they all take right about the same amount of time. And I work pretty steadily. That's you know what I do. I don't try and cram it in in between other things. You know, I sit down at my desk and write and talk to people and do research almost every day. And how did uh, Playboy Swings come about? A funny story, Mike. You know, I never really gave Playboy a, a thought. You know, I knew what Playboy was. And, and really, to me, Playboy was magazine. And, of course, I knew about Hugh Hefner. But, again, I I thought what everybody else thought. You hear the word Playboy and you think um, bunnies and centerfolds. But in interviewing people for the Persian Room, people like Patty Page and, again, Leslie Gore and um, Michelle Lee and Jack Jones, they all mentioned starting out because I like to get a well-rounded story. I didn't ask them just about the Persian Room. I asked them about how they got started. And more times than not, a lot of these folks would say, well, I started at the Playboy Club. You know, I started doing the Playboy circuit. And that piqued my curiosity enough that I started doing research and and found out that many, many people worked at the Playboy Clubs. And the comedians, uh, Joan Rivers, when I sat down with her, she said, Playboy gave us a place, they gave us a stage to be bad, you know, and to work and get better. And I thought that was... Uh, very telling of of what it was and it was a the circuit had more than 42 I believe 42 clubs worldwide and if you were good enough to get on the circuit which actually had to be bad enough not to be on the circuit um, you worked all the time and you got your timing down you got your rhythm down whether you were a comedian or a singer you made yourself good. You made yourself better and ready for that next opportunity, that next step up. And and many people like Tony Bennett, he just loved being there. He was at the pinnacle of his career and he would still come back and, and perform on the TV shows or the 
Playboy clubs or the festival. So people really, they appreciated what Hugh Hefner uh, offered them. All of these books are kind of almost interrelated. That they, It's almost a, a quadrilogy that you've created so far, counting in, starring the plaza, and Playboy Laughs. They really kind of all speak to one another. They do. And, you know, a Playboy was just, I mean, it was an eye-opener. As I just mentioned, I really didn't know anything about Playboy. And the music was the first focus. You know, Playboy Swings was really about jazz and about Hugh Hefner's love of jazz and how, uh, in my opinion, he helped advance jazz from a music form that you danced to to a venue where people paid money and sat down and listened to it in a concert venue, i.e. the Playboy Jazz Festival or the, the Playboy Clubs. And then the second one in this series is the latest, Playboy Laughs, and that's about the comedy, comedians, and cartoons of Playboy. And I have to tell you, I knew nothing about the cartoons, and they are very interesting, the cartoonists. I seem to remember doing research on Jules Pfeiffer years ago and that he was one of the cartoonists there. Absolutely. And, and uh, when I talked to Jules, uh, and, and he's very accomplished. You know, people think of cartoonists as, you know, these people that just scribble out funny looking people and come up with some gag lines. But Jules is uh, at least uh, a one-time award winner, and I'm tempted to say multiple times, uh, but also he told me, he said, I got most of my ideas for carnal knowledge from hanging at the Playboy Mansion. Well, number one, I didn't know he wrote the book, Carnal Knowledge. I had just seen the movie with Anne-Margaret, but to find out that Jules wrote the book that the movie was based on and he had gotten his ideas from the Playboy Mansion. I actually stayed at the house, and I'm trying to remember the guy's name, stayed at the the studio of one of the cartoonists who worked for Playboy, and I wish I could remember his name. I think it was Mort. And uh, it, it was amazing because he had all of these bound volumes of Playboys from just so many years, but they would give those to their artists because he had all of his cartoons were in there. It was fantastic. Was it um, Mort Gerberg? Yes. Yes, it was. Yeah. And he's profiled in the book. Very interesting character. And they all have, have great stories about working with Hef because Hef was very hands-on uh, with the magazine. You know, he had photographers that took the photographs, but he would review all of them and, and critique all of them. And then the same thing with the cartoons. And uh, I had the opportunity to to talk to family members that took care of the archives for uh, Vargas, who drew for Playboy, and they gave me some copies of illustrations that he had drawn that did appear in the magazines, but with Hef's handwritten uh, critiquing on the on the uh, rough copies and he was very very much hands on you know the eyes are too close you know the eyes should be you know quarter millimeter further apart or or what have you so um it, it was very interesting and very interesting to me because i really didn't know much about it and and just to talk to these talented guys you know al jaffe 
Mad Magazine. You know, he created the fold-in. And I I still visit with all these people because they're so interesting. And uh, he, at 96, is still working for Mad Magazine. And not because he needs the money, just because he loves to do it. And they are more than happy to have him there. Well, tell me about uh, starring the plaza. How did that one come about for you? That, again, was curiosity. Uh, I was hanging out at the plaza, and I would see all these movies, um, you know, around uh, 2008, 29, being filmed. You know, one night I was I was walking around and I saw in the building a film crew and I, you know, asked what was going on. They said they were filming Bride Wars with Kate Hudson and Anne Hathaway and uh, Polly Bergen. They were all shooting that night. And uh, so uh, security came and tried to push me away. And then somebody else said, no, you know, she's here at the plaza. So, you know, let her let her stay. And they brought me a chair. And I ended up sitting next to uh, Lance Armstrong, who was dating Katie Hudson at the time. And we watched them film. And I love Hollywood. You know, who who doesn't? And um, I was just fascinated. So, again, I, I did my research and I found all these wonderful movies. And even now that the book is coming out in print, I think I have enough for a second volume. You know, people are saying... You know, did you know Barbara Streisand did a clip there on a clear day for on a clear day? And and I I missed that one somehow. And there are a few others, but but there is so much going on. Eloise, they had various uh, uh, movies of Eloise filmed there. The Great Gatsby, three different uh, versions of of The Great Gatsby was filmed there. You know, one with Leonardo DiCaprio and one with Robert Redford and. You know, as I, I mentioned, the Beatles stayed there when they were in town for their first U.S. appearance. And the plaza didn't know the Beatles from, you know, Frank Sinatra, quite frankly. So they booked them in and they didn't know what they were in store for. And and the, the building was rung with, you know, screaming, you know, girls and women and people doing all kinds of shenanigans, you know, trying to mail themselves inside a big package up to, you know, Paul McCartney's room. And it was just uh, very interesting. But uh, I was talking to one of the older housekeepers, you know, very elderly uh, woman. And she said that uh, at the time, they all, all the housekeepers thought that the boys were a real tribute to their mothers because all four of them made their beds and straightened their room before they left the room, you know, which is very unlike any, uh, you know, rock stars or movie stars or anything. They don't make beds. So they made an impression. And that's what ended up kind of being the centerpiece of I Want to Hold Your Hand is their stay at the plaza. Yes. One of the stories is that uh, they were perfect guests at the plaza, but and but they did take the hangers. They were very impressed by the plaza hangers, which were these wooden hangers that had the plaza stamped in the center. And it's only recently where they were able to digitally clean up the film for um, I Want to Hold Your Hand that you can actually see those hangers used in in the scenes. And those were the hangers that they had absconded with. 
And to take it even a step further, they did eventually return them decades later. The plaza received a package with, you know, whatever it was, 40 hangers that said, thank you. (laughs) Here, you can have them back. When I first heard about your book, I just didn't know how you're going to pull this off. A book about how a hotel has starred in so many movies. And as I'm flipping through page after page and just all of these memories are flooding back, I was just utterly enthralled reading it. Oh, well, thank you. Uh, it it really it, it shows the culture of the country, I think, also. You take a, a movie like The Pickle with Danny Aiello, and uh, just between you and me and everybody that listens to your your uh, blog, uh, I think it shows how drugs were prevalent in Hollywood <laughs> because the, <laughs> the premise of this giant pickle landing in front of the Plaza Hotel is um, just kind of bizarre. And, and uh, talking to Danny, uh, who I know from the Friars Club, uh, he said, I don't want to talk about pickle. You know, it's almost like everybody sobered up and they said, holy smokes, what did we do? To be able to see how it has been used throughout the years. And then the one thing that really got me was where you were talking about movies or TV shows that have stand-ins for the plaza. It, it has that type of mystique where they still want want that word association and maybe they don't have the budget or they don't have the time for a trip to uh, New York to film there and they still they'll recreate it on a Hollywood uh, a Hollywood film stage or you know around the country you know it has that kind of mystique and even you know I'll be reading whatever a book and and you'll hear them mention the plaza or I was watching a TV show and and there is a fight between a husband and wife and she's like I'm going to the plaza and I'm bringing my credit cards you know so it still holds that panache and you know instantly recognizable uh, as Neil Simon who uh, of course you know uh, wrote Plaza Suite he said you know when asked, you know, why was it Plaza Suite? Why wasn't it Waldorf Suites or the Ritz Suites? And he said, quite frankly, I never considered naming it anything else. You know, it just, that was the epitome of New York glamour and sophistication. Reading your book, it felt like Robert Redford was always there because of so many movies that he shot that were set at the plaza. You mentioned The Great Gatsby, but then Barefoot in the Park. And my favorite, The Way We Were. I so wish they would have done a, a The Way We Were too, but um, they never got that together. But that was, uh, I cry every time I see it. How do you even go about finding out what movies were shot there if they didn't have those archives for you. Again, you just have to to do your research by foot. And you talk to people and you you pick up a thread and you talk to other directors or someone who worked with Hitchcock and you ask them, you know, what other movies were filmed there and you just, you know, pick up the thread. It's uh, a really, you have to have a good research team. 
And I imagine a pretty good uh, memory and a, a lot of great uh, memories on the people that you're talking to as well. Absolutely. Plus, it's a subject that I love. You know, I I think I was born out of my era. I love all these older older movies. You know, Barefoot in the Park you mentioned and uh, Plaza Suites and North by Northwest and, you know, Arthur and Crocodile Dundee and, 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 you know, these are all just, just great movies. You know, like I said, originally in the, in the early part of our conversation, uh, there's a scene where Humphrey Bogart in Sabrina tells Miss McCoddle to, you know, book me a, a suite at the Plaza Hotel, you know, and get me reservations in the Persian room. You know, it just is the grand dame of, of society. People get married there and they perform there. And, you know, every little girl wants to go to high tea. Where did you grow up? Um, I am a Pennsylvania girl. Uh, and as fast as I could, I went to New York. When was your first time actually going to the plaza? Like many others, my mother took me there. I must have been about seven. And uh, it was my church clothes with white gloves. And I was lectured all the way in on uh, deportment. You know how I had to sit straight and I couldn't reach across the table. And I had to speak in a soft voice and uh, just on and on, you know, how Eloise grew up there. And as a, a young, young child, I had been read Eloise. And I was just overwhelmed, you know, going to where Eloise lived and then having this elegant high tea. And and I just said it, it was motivation to work hard, go to college and, and uh, work hard so I could keep doing it. What were some of your biggest surprises as you were putting this book together? Were there any movies where you had forgotten or you just had no idea that they shot it there? I was um, just reminded, Crocodile Dundee, you know, during the research, I'd say, oh my gosh, you're right, Crocodile Dundee, and they filmed so much of it there. Or uh, some of the gangster movies. You know, I I really was surprised by that um, uh the Kings of New York, I think, was the name of one of the movies with Lawrence Fishburne and uh, a bunch of other bad guys. And, you know, even to gangsters, staying at the plaza was, you know, what they wanted to do when they made all their uh, illicit money. It was they dreamed of staying at the plaza. And I, I just thought that was funny, you know, that that you had these gangsters there. And, and then you had old movies or old set movies, The Cotton Club, and, you know, just on and on. It was, everything was a surprise and a delight. When they're shooting something now and putting it at the plaza, do they have to dress it a lot to make it look older, or does it still maintain that older charm? It is very unusual. That's a great question. Um, And I hadn't really thought of it until you said it, but it's uh, updated, you know, it went through a total renovation, um, I think right around, you know, 2002 to five, maybe. And they uncovered some real gems. They broke through the ceiling in the palm court and found this beautiful stained glass dome that um, had been covered. And doing research, I found out that Conrad Hilton, when he and uh, his wife owned the hotel, 
air conditioning had just come in and he wanted the latest thing for his guests. So he dropped the ceiling covering this beautiful stained glass dome to put the air conditioners while they broke through. And now you have this original dome that was built in, you know, 1907. And so that was beautiful. And the rest of the hotel, it's just been uh, cleaned up, but it's timeless elegance, I think. It's nothing that um, is out of date, yet the same mosaic floors that have been there for a hundred years. Little gems like that, you know, the stained glass dome and then this mosaic floor that I just mentioned, somebody had covered all the floors with wall-to-wall carpeting, which again, at one point was, you know, the hottest thing. And when uh, they were filming Home Alone 2, there was a scene that Macaulay Calkin was supposed to go running and slide across the foyer. And of course, they couldn't do it with the carpet. And Donald Trump owned the hotel at that time. So they asked him if they could roll up the carpet and then they'd put it down. Well, they rolled the carpet and they found this fabulous Italian mosaic floor underneath. And uh, the carpet never went back down. It was just beautiful. But again, you know, it's a 100 years old and the marble staircases, but it doesn't look dated. It doesn't look... um you know, old fashioned. And you have the younger generation comes there and they have their parties and premieres. That's a a go-to place for, you know, premieres from Shrek to, you know, just name anything, 101 Dalmatians to, you know, the uh, latest grown-up films. And how did you get access to some of these photographs that you have? Because some of those are just amazing to see the stars in their element, see them at the plaza for these premieres. Right. A lot of them are um, very rarely viewed photographs from private archives. Uh, Some people just graciously lent them to me to publish and others, you know, you had to pay to publish them. But it was uh, it was a hunt. It was a field trip, hunting them down and securing them. And I know that this one comes out very soon. I want to say it's uh, August 21st. Is that right? Yes. Yes. Playboy Laughs is, I think, even a couple weeks before that. So you are just really knocking them out of the park in August here. I am. I am. And I'm, I'm so happy and so grateful to people like you, Mike, that, you know, have found out about it and are as excited about them as I am. I had gotten a call from a friend and they said, you know, how do you know Leonard Malton? And I said, I I don't know what you're talking about. And they said, well, he picked your uh, books during the plaza as one of his three uh, recommended books. So, you know, people are finding out about it and and enjoying it and recommending it, which I'm so grateful for. You know, when you work that hard and that long on anything, it's it's nice to be recognized in a positive manner. Well, what are you working on now? I feel like I just had a baby and you're asking me when I'm going to have another one. <laughs> you seem like the kind of person who's not going to be sitting on their laurels. You're right, Mike. Absolutely. I have another Playboy book coming out, and that'll conclude the Playboy trilogy. Uh, so it'll be Playboy Swings, the latest Playboy Laughs, and I'm starting work on Playboy Thinks, which will be about the writing, you know, where 
you know, all the guys would tell their sweethearts and their wives, you know, I read it for the articles. They had some pretty darn good writers. And uh, so this will cover the writing in in the magazine and uh, the interviews. That just seems like such an immense task to tackle that because they had so many great writers for so many years. They did. They really did. And, you know, that was part of Hugh Hefner's genius. And, you know, he has no ego in that regard, that he needs to be recognized for being as smart as he was. But he had the best of everything. He had the best photographers. He had the best writers and editors, people like Alex Haley and Ian Fleming, um, and on and on and on, you know, that that submitted to the magazine and wrote to the magazine. Uh, Ian Fleming had seven short stories in Playboy before they made it to the big screen, before they were picked up and became James Bond uh, on Her Majesty's Secret Service. So you had a lot of a lot of great people. Where can folks go to keep up with you and keep up with all your projects? Patty-Farmer.com. Uh, there is another Patty Farmer, and uh, she has Patty Farmer. So patty-farmer.com is my website, and we keep it up daily. Well, thank you so much, Patty. This has been a real pleasure. Oh, it's been my pleasure, Mike, you know, being able to chat with you and about a topic that I just could go on and on for ever. Mm-hmm. 